1 Samuel chapter 12. This is going to be an encouraging sermon, I hope, this morning. It's certainly an encouraging passage of Scripture. But to get to the encouragement, first we need to go through some maybe difficult questions. For us to fully understand the beauty and the value of God's message here, uh, I think we need to start with some honest and some sobering thoughts. So let's begin here. Do you have some regrets in life? Uh, Three years ago, did you think you would be where you are today in life? Ten years ago, is this what you thought that life would look like? Are you disappointed in some areas of your life? And maybe the the disappointment comes because of your own sin, or maybe it comes because of the sins of others, and you've just suffered some of the consequences of their sin. Or maybe it's just the way life has worked out and it's not your fault or somebody's fault, but you're disappointed in in the way things are today. Uh, Maybe you find yourself saying things like this, if only I could go back and change that one thing. Or maybe you say, if I would have known then what I know now, or if I would have just listened to that person who was trying to steer me in a different direction, maybe you look at your marriage and you wonder what could have been, or you look at your career and you wonder what could have been, or you look at your grown children and you wonder what could have been, or your finances, or your walk with the Lord, or the way you're serving the Lord, and you wonder what could have been. I have questions like that. I probably ask myself those questions more than I should. Uh, But I'll just share, I am working to further my education. I love to learn. And I I love learning about God's word because not only is it just enjoyable, but I I desire to be a better Bible teacher. And one of the things that I've learned in the last couple of years is that There's so much more to know about the Bible, and there's so much more scholarship out there that I was not even aware of, and so I'm pushing myself uh, to learn. And so I'm always in school, and um, recently I've been taking these seminars uh, with other doctoral students and with uh, people in uh, postdoctoral studies, and when I go to these seminars... I am always the oldest guy in the room, (laughs) oftentimes older than the professor. And last year I was in Louisville. We had this seminar. It was actually several days long. It was all day, like eight in the morning to five at night. There were about 15 people in the seminar. I was the oldest guy in the room. And one day we were talking at all the breaks about going out for dinner together And somebody picked a restaurant, and we were all going to meet at this restaurant. Uh, So class ended 5 or 6 o'clock, and we were all gathering our stuff together. And the person who had been sitting next to me all day, uh, Dr. Eunice Chung, uh, she uh, actually a professor at another institution, uh, but was uh, taking this seminar. And I'm guessing she was in her late 20s, is in her late 20s, I don't know for sure, But we're putting everything together, and Eunice turns to me and says, "Uh, can I see your telephone? 
And I, it was an odd request, but I, I hand her my phone and she says, I can put directions in this phone that'll help you find the restaurant. <laughs> and I realized then that I was that guy. I was the guy that everybody worried wouldn't be able to find the restaurant. But I tell you that story for a reason. I, I sit in those, in those seminars and I, I recognize that I will not live enough years to master this material. And I wonder, what if I would have been here 25 years ago? So I have some, I have some regrets. Uh, I have three daughters, love my daughters. I have a very good relationship with all three. All three love the Lord, walking with the Lord, serving the Lord. Um, but I wonder sometimes, uh, could I have taught them something more? Could I have better modeled my love for Christ uh, before them? And I have some regrets. Uh, I've got a whole list. I won't uh, bore you with those, but I think the ugliest word in the English language is the word regret, and I have some. Uh, do you have some regrets? Maybe over decisions that you've made, sins you've committed, failures, maybe some things that have crushed some dreams. Do you have some regrets? So now that I've got everybody depressed this morning, I, I, I want to share with you why this is important. What do we do when we have some regrets? When life is not in every area turned out the way that we hoped it would, when we've come up short after we've failed, the $64,000 question is, does God have a plan? Does God have a path for me from here? After my failure, maybe after a divorce, after loss, after sin, at my age, does God have a plan? Well, if we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, uh, there is a, uh, an event that's described here, a historical event, uh, that helps us to answer this question. And I'm telling you, church, this will knock your socks off. It did mine this week. It's... Um, this is something else. And so I, I want to read to you the, uh, the part of the story that, that tells the story. But, but, but let me just give you a little background. We're in a, a series of messages on First and Second Samuel, so we've learned some of this history. Uh, if you were to go back to First Samuel chapter 7, you see that the leader of the nation is Samuel. Uh, he was a judge, which made him a spiritual leader and a quasi-governmental leader. He was in charge. We talked two weeks ago when we were in 1 Samuel chapter 8 about a terrible sin that the nation of Israel committed when they went to Samuel in order to go to God. Samuel went to God for them. And so they go to Samuel and they say, we demand a king. We want a king to rule us. Well, the problem with that is that their true ruler was the king. It was the Lord. And so in their demand for a king, they were really repudiating God's authority, God's leadership. 
And we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that God said as much. These people are rebelling against me. These people are demanding a king so that I will no longer be their king. It was a terrible sin. And we learned about that sin two weeks ago as we studied that chapter. Well, now we fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 12. A king has been named. The people demanded a king. They demanded a king right now. They demanded their king, not God's king. This was a terrible sin, as I said, but it is done. And so we come to 1 Samuel chapter 12, and we see the consequences. So I want to begin reading in verse 16. It says, Now therefore present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord. These are the words of Samuel to the people. I will call upon the Lord and he will send thunder and rain so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. And so Samuel gets all the people together. He said, you asked for it, you got it, but here come the consequences and the crops are going to be destroyed and, and they're going to have some regret some regret. So verse 18 says, Samuel called on the Lord and on that day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now verse 19, we see them express their regret. We wish we had not gotten to where we are. It says they pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord, your God for your servants so that we won't die for we have added to all of our sins, the evil of requesting a King for ourselves. What they're saying is, Oh, we, we regret, we regret what we've done. This is terrible. Pray that the Lord doesn't just wipe us out. See the Israelites were wondering whether there was any hope left. They're asking the question, is there a path from here with these regrets, with where I am in life, with where I am in marriage, with where I am, with where I am? Are, are there any options? Is there a path? Does God have a path from here? Now, look at verse 20, because we're going to see some shocking things uh, that happen after they express their regret. Verse 20, Samuel replied, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Now, does that surprise you? I mean, they had just messed up and God has threatened to bring this terrible disaster and they say, oh, we regret what we've done. And you would think that at this point, God would say, listen, you've blown it. You've, you've ruined your chance. You better brace yourselves for the wrath of God that will be poured out. But that's not what he says. Look at verse 20 again. Samuel replied, don't be afraid even though you've committed all of this evil. When I read that, I thought there's got to be some mistake here. It shouldn't say, don't be afraid even though you've committed all of this evil. Seems to me it should say what? Do be afraid because you've committed all of this evil. I mean, doesn't that surprise you a little bit? They're right here in the midst of this regret. They have, they have sinned against God. God has confirmed their terrible sin. And then what's the message? Don't be afraid. Even though you've committed this terrible evil, don't be afraid. 
Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. So God actually invites them to come closer to him. Surprise. It's a surprise. If you look at the next verse, the Lord, I'm sorry, verse 21, don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. So there needs to be a change. You can't turn to other things. They will not profit you. But then look at verse 22. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. It says, isn't this a surprise? The Lord will not abandon you. I mean, here they're at the edge of calamity and the wrath of God and the message from the Lord through Samuel to the people, God will not abandon you. Sure, you've messed up. You could have done better. You could have chosen more wisely. But your mess up does not equal God's abandonment. Isn't that a surprise? Isn't that a wonderful message? The people rebellious, sinful. The expectation was that God would abandon them or judge them or both. Samuel says, there is a path from where you are to the Lord. It's not the same path that you could have been on. And it is not an unconditional path. But there is a path and it's a good path. Now, let's just dig a little deeper into these uh, verses, and I want you to see three things about God's grace and mercy, and then we'll circle back around to the main point. So quickly, let me go through these. They're in your outline. Number one, God's mercy and grace rest upon the merit of Christ. So we've, we've looked at verse 22, but I want to read it again. The Lord will not abandon his people. Why? Why will the Lord not abandon his people? It says, because, so this is the answer to the question, because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. He says, God will not abandon you, but it's not because of you. God will not abandon you because of his great name and because of his choice. See, God's presence with us does not depend on our merit. It does not depend on our goodness. God's present with us, presence with us, depends upon his great name and his choice. Now let's imagine if I were to go to a jewelry store this afternoon and I were to pick out a $100,000 diamond ring for my wife. And uh, it's beautiful. It's, uh, I don't know, five carats, 10 carats. sparkles as you turn it. And I, and, and, and I say to the, to the jeweler, I'll take it. So they punch it in the calculator, add a little tax to it. I ask them if, you know, for a hundred thousand dollars, will you wrap it? And, um, <laughs> so it comes time to pay. I pull out my wallet and I pull out my credit card. This is, uh, I think it's a chase card. It says Sapphire, but I think that's chase. Maybe it's not. And, um, So I plop that down, and they run it through the machine. What do you think? See how well you know that you're pastor. (laughs) What do you think the machine would say? Arrest him. (laughs) (laughs) 
I would not be permitted to buy the $100,000 piece of jewelry. Chase does not have that much confidence in me. But I've got another credit card here. This credit card says First Baptist Church. Now, First Baptist Church has impeccable credit. Uh, We could easily buy $100,000 diamond ring, um, several of them perhaps. And so if I laid down this card, they ran it through the machine, it'd be a very different, uh, very different result, very different, uh, very different reception. Uh, They might even give me a, a box with it. Now, why could I buy it with this card and not with this other card? Because this other card depends upon my personal credit worthiness, which isn't terrible, but it's not $100,000 either. It's closer to terrible than $100,000, just if you're wondering. No, I would take the ring home not because I have the credit worthiness to put a ring of that value on a credit card, but because somebody else has the credit worthiness. See, it wouldn't depend upon me, it would depend upon the church, upon the church. Now, just to put your mind at ease, I think there are personal limits on these cards. I couldn't, uh, even with a church card, I couldn't buy, you know, a, a fake diamond ring, I imagine. But here, here's what I want you to see. Our, our being with the Lord, the Lord not abandoning me, does not depend upon my spiritual credit worthiness. It doesn't depend on what I've done or my goodness. It depends on somebody else. Who does it depend upon? It depends upon Jesus, right? Because Jesus has lived a holy and a pure life, because Jesus is righteous, because Jesus died on the cross. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few moments, and that's what we'll be celebrating, that it's, that it's not on my credit card, but it's on his credit card. When you take the Lord's Supper today, I want you to think about that. My life is not on my credit card, but it's on his. It's on his. And so verse 22 says, look at it again. I'm sorry, verse, verse 20 No, verse 22. I'm going to get this right. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and what he's determined to make his own. God's mercy and grace rest on the merit of Christ. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, if you are trying to be right with God based on your own goodness, listen, give it up. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, today's the day you should do that. Our only hope is Christ, is Christ. Now, number two, God's mercy and grace reach deeper than your sin. How far do God's mercy and grace reach? What's the limit of God's mercy? Does God's grace give out at some point? If I'm filled with disappointment or regret today, have I exhausted the mercy of God? This story tells us that the answer to all of those questions is no. You have not exhausted the mercy of God because God's mercy has no limit. Uh, Now, clearly, the Israelites feared that they had gone too far this time, that they had crossed the line. That's why they said what they said in verse 19. And I think we often come to the same conclusion. We say, well, I've blown it or I've gone too far, or I could never recover, or I've ventured beyond the limits of God's mercy. Listen, I know people get nervous when I 
preach about the limitless mercy of God, I know when you read about God's mercy, it can seem scandalous or reckless or irresponsible, but that's the wonder of God's mercy, right? If, it, if what I say makes you uncomfortable, look to what Jesus said in a parable in Matthew chapter 20. This is the parable that nobody likes. So I give it to you just in a nutshell. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who owned a vineyard. He's a farmer and he needs some work done. So he goes out and he hires early in the morning a bunch of people to come in, a bunch of men to come in and work. And they do some negotiating and they decide that a fair wage would be one denarius. And so the farmer agrees to pay, the men agree to work all day for one denarius. That was a fair wage. Well, uh, mid-morning, they need some more workers. And so the farmer goes out, the landowner goes out, and he hires some more people. And he says, listen, just come work and trust me. And then he hires some more people at noon, some more people at three, and then he hires some more people at five o'clock. Now, the five o'clock people, uh, he works over at six, and so they're hardly even going to get started while other guys have been toiling away for hours and hours and hours. So... Everybody does their work, and the day is over, and the landowner calls everybody together, and guess what? He pays them all exactly the same. The people who have worked since early in the morning, they're very upset. We've worked 10 times longer than those other guys, and you're paying us all the same? Now, why don't we like that parable? Because it just doesn't seem very fair, right? It doesn't seem like it's good business practice. Uh, it, it seems like a terrible story. Why does it seem so terrible? It seems terrible to us because we think of ourselves as the guys who worked all day. We think it's a terrible story because we look at ourselves as the guys that deserve the wage. But listen, church, that's not the point of the story. We're not the guys that deserve it. We're the guys that came at the last hour. You notice none of those guys complained, right? See, what we've got to understand is that, is that the Lord's grace and the Lord's mercy is so undeserved and is given to us not because we've worked hard for it, but because of the Lord's goodness, because of the Lord's great name, and because of the Lord's choice. Now we go back to 1 Samuel 12, and the people have rejected the Lord, and they've rebelled, and they, they fear they've gone beyond God's limit, and then the message comes, verse 22, that we've read a number of times now, as for me, I vow I will not uh, I'm sorry, verse 22, I can't keep up with my verses today. Uh, the Lord will not abandon his people. Now, I know what some people are thinking. Uh, Pastor, now, don't go soft on sin today. Uh, you need to tell people that they need to straighten up or God's going to get them. Now, listen, sin is bad. Sin leads to bad consequences. Sin leads to regret. Sin leads to hell. But we need to quit acting like we are the workers who have earned their wages. 
We need to quit being jealous of those who have been given more than they've earned because that's all of us, all of us. We need to celebrate the fact that God's mercy and grace reach far deeper than our sin. The third, the third quick point I want to make, God's mercy and grace transform failures into favor. Now, I don't have much time. You have to listen fast. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. The, the people of Israel, they sin by demanding a king. And God doesn't just forgive their sin. I want you to see he does one more thing than that. See, God takes their sin, the terrible thing they've done, demanded a king, rebelled against God. God takes that very thing and he transforms it into a great thing that he uses to accomplish a great purpose. See this, they demanded a king, it was the wrong thing to do, they're rebelling against God, and God gives them a king, terrible thing, terrible sin, everybody agrees, and then God says, okay, you've, you've demanded that we set up the crown and create the position of king, that was the wrong thing to do, but I'm going to take that terrible thing and I'm going to redeem it. And a few years down the road, I'm going to give you a godly king who will bring spiritual renewal to the nation. And that king will create a throne that will ultimately be filled by the greatest king, Jesus Christ, who will come and sit on the throne of David. And and, and this great king will bring salvation to all of those who will respond to his grace and his mercy. You see, this is, this is so remarkable. God didn't only forgive, but God transformed this ugly thing into something that he, that he could use. God can take even the bad situations, the bad stuff, the sin, the failures, and he can transform it into a means of his grace. That thing that you regret so deeply, God can use it. For his good, God's grace and mercy can transform failures into favor. Now, I want to give you two quick take-home lessons, and then we'll uh, move on to the next part of our service. Uh, Lesson number one, sin always has consequences. Let's don't just gloss over that. There were consequences here. Uh, Sin is a serious matter. I'll tell you about the consequences of sin. There are personal consequences. Every sin will take its toll. In fact, if we could see all the consequences of a sin, we would never commit a sin. If You're not going to go home and put your hand on a hot stove. Why? Because you know what will happen if you put your hand on a hot stove. You're not even tempted, right? Why aren't you tempted? Because you know the consequences. If we could see the consequences of every sin, listen... We'd never sin again. There are personal consequences. Secondly, there are corporate consequences. Our sin always affects other people, always. Then there are spiritual consequences. Our sin hardens our heart, separates us from the Lord. So sin has consequences. That's number one. Number two, God offers a good path. Listen, church. God offers a good path. From right where you are to right where God wants you to be. So I think we often imagine that we start here and God wants us to be here. And there's this straight line that connect these two. And it's a good path. 
The problem is most of us don't go down the straight line, right? We're zigzagging all over the place. And we marry the wrong person, and we chase after the wrong things, and we sin over here, and we fail over here, and then we go backwards some. And, and, and so we wonder sometimes where I am today, is there any way to get from here to where God wants me to be? Is there? Well, this story says yes. God does have a path. It's not the same path, but God has a path. You have not sinned so badly. You have not sinned so long that God doesn't have a path for you right now. This is a message to senior adults. Take a deep breath. If you can do that, God has a path. Don't say I'm too old and I can't do that now or I wish I'd have done that 50 years ago. God has a path to redeem your life completely from where you are. This is a message to people who are in less than perfect marriages. You're thinking, my marriage is messed up. And it's messed up bad, Pastor. It's, uh, well, I'm sorry, but I'm telling you, God can redeem that. There's a path from there. This is a message to students who have stumbled or fallen or failed. This is a message to those people who have married the wrong person or found out that you're the wrong person. This is a message to those with regrets. So I don't have time to finish, but I have time to give you a homework assignment. What do you do from here? Well, that's what they asked. And so the answer, verse 24 and 25. What do you do from here? Above all, fear the Lord. Worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. Be faithful. Worship the Lord. Remember his goodness and grace in years gone by. Remember how he has shown you goodness and grace when you didn't deserve it. Verse 25, however, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Let me lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, I have some regrets. And sometimes my regrets make me want to quit, make me want to walk away, make me throw my arms up in the air and say, well, my marriage could never be what it could have been. My life could never count the way it could have counted. My relationship with my kids can never be what I hoped it would be. But Father, this, this historical account in 1 Samuel 12 tells us that you still have a plan. You will not abandon us. May we embrace that plan and that path today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.